Gridbox Media Programming is brought to you by... Hello, this is international Catholic singer Anna Nuzzo, inviting you to join me and Father Dan Cambra of the Marian Fathers on a select international tour's Divine Mercy pilgrimage to Poland and the Czech Republic. It takes place in September of 2019, and we would love for you to join us. For more information, go to my website, AnnaNuzzo.com. Thank you, and God bless. Looking for the perfect First Communion, Confirmation, or RCIA gift? Consider a beautiful, heirloom-quality, made-in-Italy rosary from Ghirelli. A Ghirelli rosary will be prayed with and cherished forever, guaranteed. Shop Ghirelli today. That's G-H-I-R-E-L-L-I dot com. Introducing the redesigned CatholicSingles.com, featuring new ways that put the spotlight on the person and their faith, not just a profile picture. For the past 20 years, faithful Catholics have used CatholicSingles.com, and the reimagined CatholicSingles.com website is ready to help single Catholics take the next step in sharing meaningful relationships with other faithful Catholics. Remember, CatholicSingles.com, for faith, fellowship, and love. This is breadboxmedia.com. Yes, breadboxmedia.com. Which I have been very pleased to discover is the largest podcasting organization in the United States. This is Chuck Coughlin, once again uncovering on Setting the Record Straight some of the glorious profundity and beauty that characterizes our Catholic Church, of our beloved Catholic Church. We're going to return today to Philokalia, the Eastern Orthodox documents. Listen to this from the Philokalia, written by Evangelios the Solitary. But as you reflect upon it, be conscious that it is advice intended for someone living the life of a monk, a solitary, but it's good advice for us who live a more outward life. Here it is. Do not hanker after fine foods and deceitful pleasures, for she that indulges in pleasure is dead while still alive. As the apostle said in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 6, Do not fill your belly with other people's food in case you develop a longing for it, and this longing makes you want to eat at their table. For it is said, Do not be deceived by the filling of the belly. If you find yourself continually invited outside your cell, decline the invitation, for continual absence from your cell is harmful. It deprives you of the grace of stillness, darkens your mind, and withers your longing for God. If a jar of wine is left in the same place for a long time, the wine becomes clear, subtle, and fragrant. 
But if it is moved about, the wine becomes turbid and dull, tainted throughout by the lees. So you too should stay in the same place. And you will find how greatly this benefits you. Do not have relationships with too many people, lest your intellect become distracted, and so disturb the waves of stillness. Provide yourself with such work for your hands as can be done, if possible, both during the day and at night, so that you are not a burden to anyone, and indeed can give to others, as Paul the Apostle advises. In this manner, you will overcome the demon of listlessness, and drive away all the desires suggested by the enemy. For the demon of listlessness takes advantage of idleness. Every idle man is full of desires. Evangelos the Solitary goes on about buying and selling. He writes, When buying or selling, you can hardly avoid sin. So in either case, be sure you lose a little in the transaction. Do not haggle about the price from love of gain, and so indulge in actions harmful to the soul, quarreling, lying, shifting your ground, and so on. Thus bringing our way of life into disrepute. Understanding things in this manner, be on your guard when buying and selling. If possible, it is best to place such business in the hands of some you trust, so that thus being relieved of the worry, you can pursue your calling with joy and hope. In addition to all that I have said so far, you consider now other lessons which the way of stillness teaches. And do what I tell you. Sit in your cell and concentrate your intellect. Remember the day of death. Visualize the dying of your body. Reflect on this. I am from St. Simeon of Metaphrastus. We offer this for your reflection. He writes, Where outward ascetic practice is concerned, which virtue is the most important? The answer to this is that the virtues are linked one to the other and follow, as it were, a sacred sequence, one depending on the other. For instance, prayer is linked to love, love to joy, joy to gentleness, gentleness to humility, humility to service, and service to hope, hope to faith, faith to obedience, and obedience to simplicity. Similarly, the vices are linked one to another, hatred to anger, anger to pride, pride to self-esteem, self-esteem to unbelief, unbelief to hard-heartedness, hard-heartedness to negligence, negligence to sluggishness, sluggishness to apathy, apathy to listlessness, listlessness to lack of endurance, lack of endurance to self-indulgence, and so on with all the other vices. The devil tries to soil and defile every good thing a man would do by intermingling with it his seeds in the form of self-esteem, presumption, complaint, and other things of this kind, 
so that what we do is not done for God alone, or with a glad heart. Abel offered a sacrifice to God of the fat and firstlings of his flock, while Cain offered gifts of the fruits of the earth, but not of the first fruits. And that is why God looked with favor on Abel's sacrifices, but paid no attention to Cain's gifts. This shows us that it is possible to do something good in the wrong way. That is to say, to do it negligently or scornfully, or else not for God's sake, but for some other purpose. And for this reason, it is unacceptable to God. I'd like to interject a few comments. If you've listened to the earlier podcast for the slant of 2019 that I have done, I've employed the philokalia before. The word means love of the beautiful, holy, exalted. Four of the five volumes of the philokalia are widely available in English, but it's a challenging work. And in the Eastern Orthodox tradition, it's not recommended that a reader plunge too deeply into it without the guidance of a knowledgeable spiritual advisor, of a knowledgeable spiritual mother or father. But since many of the writings go back to the 4th century, this was a time when there was unity under the Pope, long before there was any separation between the Eastern Orthodox and the Roman Catholic Church. They were part of the Roman Catholic Church. Now, I certainly don't consider myself a spiritual father, a knowledgeable guide to the Philokalia. But I can recognize much that is plain and central to Christianity and therefore not easily misunderstood. And there's much valuable content for Lenten reflections. And the Philokalia provides numerous examples of how the Eastern Orthodox Church today interprets the Bible. It's considered a magnifying glass that allows us to see the Bible properly. So apart from the Bible, the Philokalia is the principal spiritual text in the Eastern Christian tradition. And the sayings within it have been treasured in one form or another by Eastern Catholics for centuries. It has been said to be an invaluable foundational description of Orthodox spirituality. And the selections I'm going to read to you one need not fear misinterpreting because they overlap so directly with their own tradition in what is called the West. The West, what an interesting term, so often used in discussions of philosophy, culture, politics, the West. What do we mean by that? I've always felt there was something vague and confusing about this term. Did people really know what they were saying when they said the West? because people refer to the West and the East, and the West being the area that bore the cultural imprint, the cultural heritage of the Roman Catholic Church, Catholic doom. Well, obviously the Eastern Hemisphere begins in Greenwich, England. So practically all of Europe, or really all of Europe, is in the Eastern Hemisphere. So we would call all of these religions, including Christianity, as having their origin in the Eastern Hemisphere. But then, looking at it more closely, I discovered that the term West doesn't mean that at all. The term West refers to what we always call Christendom. Therefore, the West 
is not really a geographical term at all. It's a cultural term. If you looked at the world with a cultural map, and such a map can be drawn, it's all that area, which I guess would include Australia, the Philippines, Russia, most of the world. It's really a cultural tradition, the West. And there was really no such thing as the West until the year 910 AD, when the monastery Cluny was founded. And William I gave Cluny to the church, and he abandoned all control over what they had had, a true separation of church and state. That occurred in 910, and that is considered the beginning of the West. Many historians consider Cluny the foundation of the West, the start of the West. Was this magnificent institute of learning, a monastery, a hospital, really a city, a beautiful city. Would you like to go see it? You're too late. Well, Napoleon did what Napoleon does, and he dismantled it. But look up C-L-U-N-Y on the internet, Cluny. There's some beautiful pen drawings of what it was like. Next, let us consider this. It's on the subject of prayer. And it's a paraphrase of the homilies of St. Makarios of Egypt. The paraphrase is by St. Simeon, Metaphrastus. Prayer. The crown of every good endeavor and the highest of achievements is diligence in prayer. Through it, God's guiding us and lending us a helping hand. We come to acquire the other virtues. It is in prayer that the saints experience communion in the hidden energy of God's holiness and inner union with it. And their intellect itself is brought through unutterable love into the presence of the Lord. The psalmist wrote, Thou hast given gladness to my heart. And the Lord himself said that the kingdom of heaven is within you. And what does the kingdom being within mean, except that the heavenly gladness of the Spirit is clearly stamped on the virtuous soul? For already in this life, through active communion in the Spirit, the virtuous soul receives a foretaste and a prelude for the delight, joy, and spiritual gladness which the saints will enjoy in the eternal light of Christ's kingdom. This is something that St. Paul also affirms. Quote, He consoles us in our afflictions. He consoles us in our afflictions, so that we may console others in every affliction through the consolation with which we ourselves have been consoled by God. And passages in the Psalms likewise hint at this active gladness and consolation of the Spirit, such as, my heart and my flesh has rejoiced in the living God, and my soul will be filled with marrow and fatness. And continuing on to the second part of this, not only does St. Paul instruct us to pray without ceasing and to persist in prayer, but also does the Lord when he says that God will vindicate those who cry out to him day and night and counsels us to watch and pray. We must therefore pray and always not lose heart. To put things more succinctly, who persists in prayer has to struggle greatly and even exert himself relentlessly if he is to overcome the many obstacles with which the devil tries 
to impede his diligence. Obstacles such as sleep, listlessness, physical torpor, distraction of thought, confusion of intellect, debility, and so on. Not to mention afflictions and also the attack of the evil spirits that violently fight against us, opposing us and trying to prevent the soul from approaching God when it truly and ceaselessly seeks him. He who cultivates prayer has to fight with all diligence and watchfulness, all endurance, all struggle of soul and toil of body, so that he does not become sluggish and surrender himself to distraction of thought, to excessive sleep, to listlessness, debility and confusion, or defile himself with turbulent and indecent suggestions, yielding his mind to things of this kind, satisfied merely with standing or kneeling for a long time, while his intellect wanders far away. For unless a person has been trained in strict vigilance, so that when attacked by a flood of useless thoughts, he tests and sifts them all, yearning always for the Lord, He is readily seduced in many unseen ways by the devil. Moreover, those not yet capable of persisting in prayer can easily grow arrogant, thus allowing the machinations of evil to destroy the good work in which they're engaged and making a present of it to the devil. Unless humility and love, simplicity and goodness regulate our prayer, this prayer, or rather this pretense of prayer, cannot profit us at all. And this applies not only to prayer, but to every labor and hardship undertaken for the sake of virtue, whether this be virginity, fasting, vigil, psalmody, service, or any other work. If we do not see in ourselves the fruits of love, peace, joy, simplicity, humility, gentleness, guilelessness, faith, forbearance, and kindliness, then we endure our hardship to no purpose. We accept the hardships in order to reap the fruits. If the fruits of love are not in us, our labor is useless. In such a case, we differ in nothing from the five foolish virgins because their hearts were not filled here and now in this present life with spiritual oil. Then there's this last part. Simplicity before others, guilelessness, mutual love, Joy and humility of every kind must be laid down as the foundation of the community. Otherwise, disparaging others or grumbling about them makes our labors profitless. He who persists ceaselessly in prayer must not disparage the man incapable of doing this, nor must the man who devotes himself to serving the needs of the community complain about those who are dedicated to prayer. For both prayers and the service are offered in the spirit of simplicity and love for others. The superabundance of those dedicated to prayer will make up for the insufficiency of those who serve, and vice versa. In this way, the equality that St. Paul commends is maintained. He who has much does not have to excess, and he who has little has no lack.
These are passages from the Philokalia. Is the love of the beautiful, the holy, the exalted. Perfect for us to reflect upon and contemplate in this Lent of 2019. This is Chuck Coughlin. Join me again for more Lenten Reflections on breadboxmedia.com. Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by Jack Kane Ford. Find your next Ford Tough vehicle at caneford.com. CMF Curo is the country's first Catholic healthcare ministry to provide an affordable health sharing solution rooted in Catholic teaching and community. Learn more at mycatholichealthcare.com slash podcast. That's mycatholichealthcare.com slash podcast.